0: When you were sitting quietly, could you taste the silence? Was the mind busy? Were you here somewhere else, wanting to think about things, restlessness, distraction, anxiety? Those thoughts are so compelling, they're just grabbing us. These things that come up, these thoughts and mind states, they're universal to all of us, aren't they? At different times in our lives, in our days, in our work, in our family life and relationships, we experience those various kinds of obstacles that prevent the mind from being calm and still. What it shows us is Not only that each of us is prone to dealing with those obstacles, like greed, wanting, wanting something we don't have, or aversion, not wanting what we have, wanting things to be pleasant rather than painful, trying to get away from suffering so that we can enjoy the moment in a certain way. And when that doesn't happen, the mind gets anxious, or fearful, or upset, distressed, distracted. There's restlessness and worry, which is a a minor form of aversion. And then there's dullness, tiredness, exhaustion, or boredom. Sound familiar? And then there's doubt what am I doing here I don't like this I'm, I should have gone to the other meditation group <laughs> but if you were there you'd be wondering what's going on down here there's such a lack of ability to settle down and accept our lot what we got in, in other words all of us know suffering you might not call it suffering it's just unpleasant but in this particular line of practice, we like the word suffering. It's heavy duty. <laughs> and it, it gives a certain tone of urgency to this practice. Did you know that you were suffering? Maybe if you sit for half an hour, it's not too bad. But supposing I didn't ring the bell for another hour. Suffering. If it wouldn't be physical, like just a physical discomfort, you would start to get very angry. What's the matter with her? <laughs> she has no right to keep us here for this long. It must be 10 o'clock. <laughs> I only booked till 9. I'm, get, I'm getting up. I'm leaving. Your mind would really begin to suffer. At least it would rebel. And if you didn't physically get up because you were being too polite then inside you'd have a few stories going on. These people are so irresponsible. You really don't know anything about timing. And your mind would keep thinking and thinking, where where would be the silence then? Why is it that we cannot give in, we cannot get quiet, we cannot surrender to conditions, that our expectations and our anxieties our assumptions and our ideas rule our reactions there's a mysterious cell phone and provide us with a set of ringtones that we know exactly how to respond to but the silence is something that we cannot just be comfortable with it's getting louder (laughs) So the mind has its own volume control and we don't have, we can't control it, we can't find the off button. Now part of this is due to habit. We've been trained, however many years we've been in these bodies, we've been trained to react and respond to the volume of the, the mind, the voices and the volume of those voices that are programmed, is a kind of programming. When to get up, when to sit down, when to move, when not to move, to go for what's pleasant and to run away from what's unpleasant. That in itself is a suffering and that's what drives us. What's the good news? There is a way out. Now, in different traditions, there's different kinds of good news. That we can realize freedom from this suffering. Whether it means that you will surrender your your life to a particular way of practice, or that you will learn a way of practice, whether you're with a teacher or on your own, or that some supreme or divine force will help us to relieve this suffering. Two things we can know, there is suffering and there is a way out. Now here in this tradition we don't make an assumption that this redemption from all these temptations and from all the obstacles that we we've experienced for example tonight is something that will come from outside. We're looking for that from within us. We're taking full responsibility for freeing ourselves from this suffering through our own work and effort. That's the bottom line of this approach, is that when you feel heat, you may try to adapt by moving your body, but eventually you might start to realize that it's the mind that's on fire. We'll stop believing the mind. We'll stop believing those ringtones. Turn, turn, move, shift, adjust. Because you'll find in five minutes you'll start feeling the same thing again. That the suffering cannot be switched off by doing something with externals. The origin of that suffering is here within us. And it takes a bit of investigation for us to see this. To see where is that, where does all that anxiety and fear, restlessness and heat, the distraction and doubt, the confusion and the chaos that we feel inside, the anger, the memories that control and make us run towards things that we know only bring us more pain and no lasting happiness or calm. We begin to learn by investigating all these obstacles and the ways in which they arise in the mind, we begin to see that the origin, they begin and end in our own experience here in us. Certainly, if we were sitting in a room full of people that were chit-chatting it would be very difficult to meditate so it would be hard to investigate different conditions will lead us to different states of mind and that teaches us something right there that whatever kind of life you lead that will have effects if you're living a very busy life then your mind will be more stressed than if you're living out in the country perhaps but even if you were living in the country and you were with someone that was miserable then you would be stressed the conditions that we are in have a tremendous effect on how we feel how we respond but we can train ourselves to respond with more openness more wisdom more acceptance and more calm By practicing this meditation in good conditions, so that when we find ourselves out in the busyness of the world, in the difficult situations or really facing some pretty horrendous things in life, unpleasant things in life, we won't react in the old ways. The mind that is trained to respond without a good result learns how to respond so that we get a good result. Right then and there, there are four things we've learned. There's suffering, and there's a way out. And where's the origin of that suffering? It's within us. That means that when we go back into the world, or if you think back on your life, and you try to review what makes you unhappy, what's the usual response to the things we don't like? And whose fault is it? Somebody else's It's somebody else's fault. We want to blame. Who do we blame? Life, the world, politics, our body, our education or lack of it, our parents, husband, ex-husband, child, the people that are mean, the people that are stingy, the people that won't give you the money you need or that don't pay you back what you lend them, the people that blame you. Is there anyone blaming you or criticizing you or condemning you or not being kind? How much we take this attitude of blame. So what do we have to do? When we know that the origin of that suffering is in us and we watch the mind fall into old ways of blaming and believing that the suffering is due to someone some event some life situation a government an economic collapse then what do we do take responsibility how do we take responsibility We can understand what is this mind and we can simply accept that my happiness or unhappiness is not due to these outside conditions. And I'm able to train my mind to be happy when things are not going the way I want them and not to fall into states of despair and grief no matter what's happening. In other words, I can cultivate forgiveness, compassion for myself, acceptance of whatever is going on, and equanimity with life, no matter how bad it looks. Even if we get a diagnosis that we have a terrible illness and we only have a short time to live, It's very frightening, isn't it? Most people feel very, very frightened and maybe angry, resistant. Of course, I'm going to fight this. And that might be a good thing, like look for every kind of remedy. But in the end, we can't keep these bodies going forever. And we all have a different karmic predicament. We can't control that. We cannot control what is going to happen to us. But whatever happens to us, we can bring a sense of well-being to the mind. We cannot cure the body. There's no cure for death. All bodies, everyone that is born, will die. So eventually we have to face that, yes, we're death-bound. But... That's not what's gonna end our suffering. It's not because we die suffering ends, but it's what the mind does around that. What are some of the strengths of the mind? Being present, not rushing into the past and the future. The busyness doesn't help us bring the mind to a place of strength, serenity, and fullness. So can we understand, what is this mind? When you were meditating, what did you do? Trying to do nothing. You just try to be, just to breathe, even not even breathe, just to listen, not even to listen, just to allow all conditions be exactly as they are and know them as they are. In that moment, you're giving up the world. You've renounced the world. By renouncing the world, you free yourself to be with your heart. That's for one moment. How long can we give up the world? So how can we learn the truth of what we really are? How can we open to that silence and hear the voice of truth the voice of goodness of godliness to know the sacred that is within us that cannot die but if we are so attached to worldly things that we can't give them up to believe that the cure is only in externals is a distraction from looking for our liberation in the right ways and that is in those silent moments where the mind goes between thought and opens to a truth that is vast, more vast than any of us can imagine and yet we can find it in the space of our own heart. Just like the eye, the eye is such a small organ or instrument, isn't it, it's so tiny It just fits here in this little, what is it, less than an inch in your head, this optic nerve. And yet, what we can see is enormous. The world outside. You can look at all of Montreal with just this eye. If you're standing up on the mountain, you can look across the horizon and see for miles with this tiny eye and that's just a metaphor for what the heart this invisible heart I'm not talking about a muscle I'm talking about the heart which is the heart of awareness our ability to know that the knowing quality of the mind is vast it's luminous it's empty of suffering in itself as long as we're able to experience it, not through the filter of the sounds and sights and tastes and smells and tactile experiences of this world that we're in. So there's suffering and an ending, an escape from suffering, there's the origin of suffering which is all, it comes from these five sense doors, every time the mind wanders out through hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, touching and believing that our happiness comes through those sense doors then we cannot rest in that truth that we ourselves can know in the space of this knowing mind renunciation is not popular we love having a rest we love being with our families, our kids, our meditation partners. We love going on holiday. We love chanting. We love meditating. Whatever you love. We love being able to stay alive. Whatever we love, we don't want to give that up. If we're able to give up certain worldly things to devote our energy and attention to this quality of the heart so that we can, like a gardener, if you want to grow something, you've got to devote time to it. And if it's a delicate something, who's a gardener here? What's hard to grow? Roses. Roses are hard to grow, but aren't they magnificent? You have to devote time to this magnificent practice. You have to dedicate yourself and focus. This practice requires effort. It requires trust. It requires mindfulness. That means really paying attention in the right way. And it requires concentrating your mind in the right way. And the result is a very special wisdom If we don't dedicate ourselves to cultivating this kind of a rose within, then we'll never know the fragrance, the freedom from the stress and pressure of our lives. That freedom is priceless. It's worth dedicating effort to. When we sit down to meditate and we close our eyes, we've given up walking in the fresh air of of an autumn night, to sit in this little room with a group of strangers you've dedicated yourselves already that's a renunciation you give up your thoughts don't you? that's another form of renunciation you give up listening to the lies the criticisms the stress the despair in your heart the foolish thoughts the ignorant thoughts the angry thoughts the rage, the regrets, the mistakes, the resentments. You've also given up the pleasant thoughts, the nice company you kept, the good breakfast you're gonna have tomorrow, your plans for the future. You've given it all up. For what? To be present. That's a renunciation. Giving up thoughts. And then in half an hour, what do you get? A few minutes of silence. Even if you were to shave your head and wear a robe, this is another form of renunciation. That doesn't mean that your mind would get any quieter. If I go into a shop, not that I can buy anything unless somebody's with me because I have no money. There are so many things in the shop that don't mean anything to me. Shampoo. Shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> nail polish, anything that isn't brown. I don't look at it <laughs> and it's high heels forget it <laughs> so that already my world is very limited but if I see a new newfangled shaver then I can develop an attachment to that. They now make five blades. This means a lot to a nun. (laughs) This is a reminder to let go the appearance of the body. We want to wear the robe neatly. But how many thoughts can come up around the kind of a cloth and the way it looks, and all even if you're already given up so much in your life, the mind will still take us back to greed, hatred, and delusion over whatever's left in your life. It's very difficult to renounce. But renunciation, the value of it is that slowly, slowly, we give up as much as we can. Look in your cupboards and think, What do I really need? Do I need all this stuff? Look in your house and see what's it full of. Then look in your mind and see what would you like to give up. We don't want all that busyness in there. Isn't it hard to give it all up? But this training of knowing that there's suffering, knowing there's an ending to suffering, finding the roots of that suffering in our own body and mind, And then following this path, the Eightfold Path, which is developing right view so that we know how to focus on the breath, how to experience it, and the value of renouncing thought. And then developing right intention, which means thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of goodwill, not buying into anger, But calming the mind again and again, bringing back to the present moment and thoughts of harmlessness, not to harm any living being. And in the present moment, non-harming is by not believing in the past and the future, just keeping the mind in the smallest space you can, one-pointed on only one point, the sound of silence. No other sound. Let no other ring tone interfere with what you're listening to. Let no heat or cold move you. Let your ego run away, disappear again and again. Dedicate yourself selflessly. Can we be so selfless to the present moment? really dissolve and disband, dismantle the ego. And to do that, we have to dedicate ourselves to the present moment. This body-mind, whatever energy there is in me, I will trust this present moment and no other moment. For now. It's total. I only have this. There's no self in there trying to control anymore. You've given yourself If we can give ourselves to the present moment in this way, then we will not be tempted to listen to any other truth but the truth of this empty moment, just as it is. That selflessness will help us when we go back into our lives to be not selfish, because we will learn where that peace arises. It arises here not by believing in the negativity the fear and the worry the distractedness and the result is freedom it's the knowledge of where freedom originates and how to fulfill it so that we can perpetuate it not just while we're meditating but when we get up and walk out the door and continue our lives renunciation is critical And it's founded on precepts. You can see the relationship between giving up the things of the world, it means giving up what's unwholesome, what's distracting us from what is true and good and pure. And you have to study your lives, examine your lives and see, how can I do that? What should I dedicate myself to? What will uplift me morally and spiritually? And then follow that. Follow it. Trust it. Give yourselves to it. And it will reap benefits. Not just for us, but for everyone. That's what I offer as a reflection for tonight.